six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, land rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Okay, special guest. Um, actually, we're actually out at lunch together, as you can hear in the background. Uh, we're actually all at lunch together in Can- <laughs> Lawrence, Kansas. No, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> returning guests, uh, first we have uh, Serena Farb, who's been on the show quite a few times. I actually forgot. You're actually one of our first original get, uh, guests of, of this program. So you're back. You've been traveling everywhere uh uh you know in a van do we have this correct yes yes tell me about that tell me about that (laughs) yeah it's been uh, i moved out of my apartment in august so it's been four months of pretty much full-time van life with staying with some other people along the way and um it's been great and i feel so done right now (laughs) 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 <laughs> I, I feel ready to have an apartment or get a house. And yeah. and so you went all over in the van or like w- walk me through the, the path of every of everywhere yeah. you went. Uh, all over um, down the East Coast, primarily, then Florida, then back to Kansas for a little bit, um, then back to the south. I've been trying to stay south while it's gotten cold. Um, and then so most recently, I just went through like Dallas, Austin, Texas then over to Tucson, Phoenix, Sedona, Arizona, and then Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then wow, back whoa. to Kansas. You know, there's a there's an issue with people sometimes that have big vans in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They might be wondering what they're cooking in there, you know? Yeah. Just, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, you didn't run into any issues yeah. over there with that at all? No, no. I mean, uh, mine's covered in... Uh, vegan information so probably i don't know if that makes me more suspicious or not perfect front yeah (laughs) well i didn't think there were any animal products in that stuff so i yeah i wasn't sure but yeah um but we also have uh dr jonathan latham returning for his third time on this program and uh i will say our first episode was it was almost two years ago the first time you came on where we first talked about the lab leak the possible the possibility of a lab leak which was not accepted by the mainstream media now i must say that episode has aged like the finest you know merlot (laughs) that you could ever have it's it's it sounds even better um now how does it feel being right doctor how does it feel just being right and just doing victory laps all the time do you feel vindicated (laughs) at all um you know we we for sure feel vindicated in taking an interest in the issue right i mean (laughs) you know as a scientist i always gotta say there's a small amount of doubt uh in my mind that it you know that it was a lab leak but that doubt is so small at this point. You know, I would willingly, confidently bet my house that that this thing came from one of the labs in Wuhan. Absolutely, oh, and so so that that feels good. And and for a while for a while it felt very good because a lot of people were visiting our website and and showing a lot of interest in our work. And now you know, there's there's people are less interested in the specifics, like what kind of a lab leak was it. You know, and the the mainstream media, there's there's one issue in that point of view. And then the other one is that the mainstream media is still not accepting, you know, for the most part, 
the, the, the sort of super respectable mainstream media is still mm -hmm. resisting yeah. that narrative, mm -hmm. you know, against all the evidence. It's just insane, you know, but, but to me, it's like, you know, we, I've seen this in science before where the mainstream media has a, has a position and they're going to stick to it no matter what the evidence, you know, and so, mm -hmm. so they, they still just uh, double down on that, on that whole thing. And, uh, there, there is a small party of scientists who have the backing of Anthony Fauci and you know the uh -huh. the the establishment who still are pushing that story, even though the evidence, you know, every time the evidence piles up against them, they uh, they they double down and come up with some other you know explanation of what what this what this new evidence means. Yeah. It's just it's really uh, remarkable to watch. Yeah, and I, I think one one. A question I had had, and we're going to ask you a few questions on this today. But but when you when one question I had had was there are a lot of people who, yeah, we we got some listeners that are, are they don't like when China's implicated in anything. They tend to think that they're like no, actually the real lab leak is Fort mm. Detrick, right? Mm. Are, have you are you familiar with that theory at all? Yeah, I, I am, and I think it's it's difficult to rule it out. You know, this is this is part of the issue. It's like you know the the U.S. involvement in this. Uh, in the Wuhan lab was deep, absolutely, and so so that raises the possibility that that you know somebody from the United States went across the Wuhan and put it on their front door, as it were, mm. and and we can't rule that out. I don't think at this point, you know, the samples are going back and forth, technology understanding is going back and forth. There's a deep collaboration there, yeah, and so so yeah, I, I understand why people. Uh, make that suggestion and and you know you've got the whole you know u.s history of kind of false flag operations and so forth that make it you know it's the kind of thing that that people in the cia for example would, would consider and might and probably would do i think there's people in the cia who would do that i would I'll be confident <laughs> also in saying that <laughs> i think so too i think so too um so you know right now i don't know if you guys have noticed anything as far as uh um the flu season that's going around right now and yeah. i had a few uh listeners because we, we asked for some questions to to ask uh to ask the experts i should say um for we fielded some twitter questions and one person was saying like what's with the flu season this year why mm -hmm. is it so bad and could it possibly be because we did some pretty big medical intervention over the last couple of years <laughs> uh um and serena if, if you have anything on this as well but uh do you guys do you guys think it's just a oh it just happens to be bad this year or are we just is ade real the uh i forget what that stands for but it's the immune system kind of uh uh and dependent enhancement right exactly yeah. so i'm interested to hear you guys thoughts on that you want to go first, Serena? Do you have any? Because I have um, a few ideas. Yeah, so I'm going to be honest that I have not been following near as much. I've been super busy and uh, not paying as much attention to the news around any of this recently. Um, but I do remember, um, I mean, there, there's a couple things. Like, one, we do have a lot of evidence from other issues and, and including like and I know RSV is um, part mm -hmm. of <laughs> what's going on yeah. now too I've seen that but um, that you know we have examples from other illnesses where you know getting an injection within 30 days of contracting an illness or something can 
increased your risk or, you know, mm-hmm. tighter levels are, are different depending on things like that. Um, you know, and I think I probably talked about this on here before, but like polio was mm-hmm. a really good mm-hmm. example where getting another intramuscular injection within like 30 days of contracting polio increased your risk of paralysis in, in that limb, you know? So I think we do have a theoretical basis for wondering if the, um, mass campaign for, um, you know, everyone getting these, and I don't know how careful you generally are. You don't have to be careful, but I am waiting for someone (laughs) to just come up with silverware behind your back in the coffee shop. (laughs) I'm waiting for the price. You don't have to be careful. I don't, yeah, not at all. You have to get a mark into the dome. I mean, yeah, you you know what I'm saying. And (laughs) so there's a theoretical basis there that that is causing more issues now Mm -hmm. with everyone getting all of these um, that, you know, it potentially could be increasing our risk of other things or having worse cases of, of the flu. Definitely seems that way. Doctor, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, the, you know, I, I, I support what Serena says. I think that's one possibility. There's another one, which is simply we're just having a bad flu season. Yeah. And that's, you know, statistically, bad flu seasons happen, right? That's mm-hmm. one. Another one would be, that uh, there's a fair amount of misdiagnosis going on. You know, uh. people have people have COVID, but it's not being properly picked up by the tasks. I think that would be another possibility. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of things that are that are going on here. There's a lot of moving parts. So so it's difficult to pin that down. But yeah. it is it is uh, you know, and it's possible that people are just separated from each other for too long, and now we lost our immunity, and therefore mm-hmm. the other viruses come back with the bang you know yeah. that's also a simple uh hypothesis too that that is supported with some evidence yeah, yeah i agree I, I i agree and and the weird part about it is like it's unfortunate that you just can't isolate one thing because you know it was it, the whole again where we were wearing masks for all this time we were whether you think masks work or not you have to think putting that over your face for a, a long time if you are being protected, then you're probably not getting some of the normal bacteria you need to kind of develop your immune system in there. And if you're not being protected, then, you know, there's a whole nother slew of things that are that are happening, happening there. But it's almost similar to when people are, let's say, 35 years old, 40 years old, having heart issues, sudden heart issues. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of heart disease, as we talked about the last episode in this country, heart issues, we don't eat well in this country. Um, so it's very tough to isolate it, you won't get doctors to exactly pinpoint especially the product they were told to push uh, about a year ago it's very tough for them to just say oh this is this is from that so i think the same thing with this flu season uh can can definitely be I, I tend to lean towards the yeah i think people's immune systems are shot personally um pharmaceutically and and from lockdowns especially in countries uh in the east that had super high uh rates of lockdown very strict lockdowns but even in even in the west where we are um like my parents have each had their third shot and my mom is my mom's just constantly sniveling i don't know if she ever gets like diagnosed with the flu but she was always a person that would get sick every other year it seemed and then now it just seems like she has just this baseline of like snot like in mucus like it's very odd um i can only speak anecdotally that's the frustrating part about all this what do you guys think about the i agree glenn i uh it seems like not being healthy is just the baseline now for humanity. Do you want to brag about, do you want to brag about your Thanksgiving about how you're the only person that didn't want to get sick? Everyone got so sick. I was with like (laughs) 20 people and I was the only one that didn't get sick. 
Um, I think I was one of the few that wasn't jabbed, but I also do a lot of stuff for my immune system, you yeah. know, like a lot of whole foods and extracts and things like that. Um, but the, the kind of that I've heard from more of the COVID, the mainstream COVID scientist type people that bought everything hook, line and sinker. They say something that I don't necessarily disagree with that COVID itself might reset your immune system and right might mm-hmm. erase previous antibodies to other diseases. Do you know anything about that, Jonathan or Serena? Where I've, when I heard it, of course, like I'm not the type to just be like, oh, you're automatically wrong because I disagreed with you on this thing or whatever. And and it when I heard it, it was like, oh, that might that might have something to do with it. We've all had COVID. It might have been mild, but it might have like changed our immunity for other things. And the vaccine with the, I mean, the spike protein, I still have yet to see any evidence that anyone knows how long the spike protein is produced in the body. And some, it seems like it still is being produced in some people years later, which is, of course, shocking and horrific and completely the opposite of what they said. So do you guys have anything to say on those, on those topics? I mean, there's plenty of things in the environment. Sorry, Serena, you're about to say something, but there's plenty of things in our environment that are coming along that are upsetting people's immune systems, you know, like perfluoroacetic acids, all these all these toxic chemicals that are in your, you know, Teflon-type compounds. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we know that they have bad effects on the immune system. So yeah. there's always this underlying basis of, you know, the toxic chemical exposures that people have. But I'm not an immunologist, you know, so I'm not going to answer questions about you know how vaccines are working and so forth yeah that's not not my expertise yeah the only thing oh go ahead no 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 please please (laughs) i'll say the only thing that comes to mind for me um is you know there's at least a correlation between like covid severity and vitamin d levels Mm yeah and i heard some hypotheses that like maybe we aren't sure which way it goes like at first it was oh lower vitamin d levels might equal more severe disease but then i guess the other side is what if covid actually depletes your vitamin d levels which could result in like seeing some of that changed immunity afterwards or something like that um or covid also depleting like your zinc levels or, or you know stuff like that i think is a potential yeah. i haven't looked into that more but i did like i know there's definitely a correlation mm-hmm. and you know i guess it could go either way no it doesn't seem far-fetched at all and and, and this all comes back and, and side talks about this all the time like the people you hear so deranged. I mean, you'd hear people that would talk about long, you know, long implications of long COVID, like your your you know brain just shutting down and all all of these crazy things, whether they're true or not. Um, they still never get back to the fact of okay, but this you should be mad at the gain of function labs more than anything. <laughs> if you're so scared of this virus, like just just completely yeah. mortified, like triple masked thousand shots like all that stuff if you if you're that people never work back to the lab like they never work back where it's like wow this was actually like made by us like with our money <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it's just it's just insane how how that happens because even if covid even if there are parts of covid where it is just like a, a weird I hate to say it like this, but like I've heard it referred to as a software update or like, you know, like a computer cleanse type thing for your body. Uh, Even if it is to that level, it's like, well, then that that's unlike any other virus. Right. I mean, that's unlike anything. And we should be really, really worried about where it came from and any further products that come from there. So 
yeah, mean, I, my my comment. Go on, Bob. Could you say? No, yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's uh, it's always yeah they they blame diners or people that want to run a, a business or people that want to go to school unvaxxed and they they never but and the thing they they fully trust in the media that says don't take vitamin D that's a conspiracy don't take zinc you know don't take you know mm-hmm. maybe an off patent drug whichever one you believe in I don't know there's a whole the whole fact checking thing the Reuters thing where they're all in you know they're all on pharma's board board members and they they're telling you not to do it's weird like the people that a lot of the covid realists i guess you could say get accused of being heartless or not caring about people dying when in fact a lot of times they have the best advice that if we just listen to them that we probably would have got through this a lot faster and with a lot less deaths you know not putting people on ventilators when they don't need the whole thing it's just it's very you know it's very a lot of hypocrisy floating around go go on jonathan yeah Yeah, i was just gonna add really that there's so little research on the interaction between the virus and the people who get it. You know, like it seems like we should be studying ordinary people and the symptoms they get and the symptoms they get from the different variants and the treatments that follow from that. Mm-hmm. Like there's so little information about that. There's this huge gap. You know, there's all this molecular research into the into the different parts of the virus and some, you know, real complicated things with X-ray crystallography of protein structures and stuff. But but the actual practical research of how the virus affects different people and how many people are getting it, and these are real basic questions don't ever get answered because, you know, there's an agenda often behind all the research. You know, there's certain people gobbling up the money. There's certain questions that get to be, you know, there are more have more acceptable answers than others. You know, like the idea that this research is being initiated by scientists and being being done in the public interest. You know, and everybody's thinking about this question from the public interest is is really uh, such a powerful myth that people have about <laughs> science that that somehow all the questions get asked by individual scientists and. And they get to decide on their experiments, whereas, you know, there's all this, you know, the reality is there's all this top-down kind of filtering of the research that's allowed to be done. And and that research, that filtering process, you know, is basically creating narratives that suit mm-hmm. Big Pharma and is operating absolutely against the public interest, you know, to answering the kind of questions that ordinary people have about the virus. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 You get the, you, you, you come up with the answer in your head and then how do I get to the answer through studies? It's more so yeah. rather than the, what are my, rather than, I don't know the answer. Let's do some studies. Right. That's typically the, that's how it the, feels. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's how it, yeah. it, it, it seems like such a layman's way to put it, but it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know how else you have to, you can't have a preconceived answer. You can have a thought. You can say, Hey, I think this happened, but if you're research leads you somewhere else, then, hey, that's science. I hate to bring it to you. And um, so we do have, I, I have a, a couple questions from our listeners. Uh, now, some of these won't be phrased in the most scientific form because we, we don't, uh, uh, let's just say that this, are, this is one of our higher <laughs> IQ uh, episodes. Uh, so, um, but the, uh, I'll start with one. And uh, doctor, if you, if you don't have, if you don't, if you want to pass on any of these, that's totally fine. But uh, um you met someone just says do we all have aids now basically and by aids i think they just mean like like (laughs) i don't believe that they think that we have the virus of aids i believe this person is asking 
as we alluded to earlier, our our immune systems are shot. And is there just a coordinated effort to just not have a, a real organic immune system anymore through virology, I guess I should say. <laughs> and that that's a difficult question to answer. <laughs> I mean, Lucky firstly, most. you know, your interpretation is, you know, you're guessing a little bit. Yeah, I am. And, and what are, you know, what is, the, what is the agenda of, you know, people like Big Pharma and the Gates Foundation and, and so forth? You know, like, you can see, I can see where this person might be coming from. Like, do, does, you know, it's in the interest of Big Pharma that people have no immune system and we're all dependent on the chemicals that Big Pharma produces, right? And yeah. I am very, very cynical about these companies and what they, you know, what they, what their long-term goals are. You know, I, I, not, um, I do not believe that they, they have our best interest at heart. Right. And so, so I think it's a question, right? That's all I'd say. I think it's a question. Yeah. Fair. Hey, on the, on the, before you go on the next question, now that we brought up AIDS, uh, <laughs> no. you, John, you, you recommended a book to me that I a, lot, a while ago that I haven't gotten around to reading. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called The River. Oh, and yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know we uh, sure I can. people are like AIDS discussion is coming up more and more. And maybe you could give people a little rabbit hole to follow down on what what's going on with AIDS and the history behind it and stuff. Just a quick, quick yeah. couple minutes. Yeah. Or so, yeah. So The River is a book by a guy called Edward Hooper, who's a British journalist. And he worked with scientists in the early days of AIDS to try to work out, you know, where this virus came from, because this is supposedly another zoonotic origin virus, right? Mm. But what he, you know, he built on a hypothesis that other people actually invented, not him, called the OPV hypothesis. And basically what it says is that, that in the 1950s, approximately, and 60s, there were vaccination programs in Africa that were using monkey cells to generate live polio virus. Mm -hmm. And people were being injected basically with purified extracts of monkey cells. And so there's every reason to suppose that this virus, the HIV virus, came from some kind of contamination event of those cells. And so the river is basically, you know, can we chase down the evidence? The, the, can we, you know, how far can we go to, to show, you know, for example, like what monkey cells were being used by the people who were generating the vaccines? And what can we find the original samples and test them and see whether wow. they have monkey, you know, chimpanzee HIV in them? And uh, this is a very powerful hypothesis, in my opinion, and, and has never been disproven, although the scientific literature claims that it's been disproven, which is totally not true, in my opinion. And, and one of the most important data points there is that there are actually three ver variants of HIV that crossed over from different monkeys, uh, but roughly at the same time. And the biggest question that the zoonotic theory uh, people have to answer is, you know, in the million years of interactions between Homo sapiens and chimpanzees hunting chimpanzees and other monkeys, and 1950 or 1960 when this virus appeared, we never experienced any jumping over of an HIV type right. type mm. virus, even though wow. humans were hunting monkeys and so on and so forth for sure. 
And there's, these jumps have never happened subsequently either. There's no jumps after about 1970. And yet three jumps occurred in this period between about 1950 and 1960. That wow. exactly coincided with these vaccination programs. And these vaccination programs were basically targeting millions of people in Africa, you know, literally millions of people were, were jabbed with, with, uh, with live viruses. Uh, purified from from various kinds of monkey cells. Wow. So, so there's a totally valid hypothesis, in my opinion, and should not be dismissed at all. And and really, it's the river is hard to get hold of as a book. It's out of print. But the author has a PDF file. It's like 600 pages. It's a big read. Wow. But there's a tremendous amount of really interesting information right. about the history of vaccination programs, about other examples of when... Uh, contaminating viruses who transferred themselves into the human population, like Exhibit A would be SV40, for example. Yeah. And, and so he goes into all these different stories and he talks about the different people and what they, how they responded to his, his promptings about, you know, can we look at your samples and can you tell us what monkeys you were using and can you to give us all this information? And basically from being relatively open, the scientific community basically closed down and closed down. As he got closer and closer to proving what the, the theory, the less and less scientists would engage with him and actually have open conversations. It's a totally fascinating book and yeah. absolutely worth reading. And even if that's viewed as a conspiracy, like just a wacky conspiracy theory, it's it really, it's still the, the, the onus is on the, 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 you know, party line to be more solidified right in their theory to stop creating these right like we're only asking the questions because we've not we haven't had the answers right yeah. and so like if people are mad at conspiracy theories you you might as well you need to stop acting like it's some lead pipe lock uh the theory that you have <laughs> you know because that, that just gets like people just plant their flag on that they don't necessarily do it scientifically you know and and that's what I find interesting. So yeah. uh, the next one, I'm sorry, a lot of people asked about the vaccine. I know you're not a, I know you're not a vaccinologist, so I'll, I'll skip some of those. But uh, uh, the okay, here's a here's a good one. What strong beliefs about viruses has Dr. Latham abandoned as he's discovered new information or data? Mm. That's a good question. Strong beliefs that I have abandoned. I mean, the one, you know, the one, you know, the one that came to me from reading The River. You know, what was interesting about The River is I read The River, Ed Hooper's book about HIV, probably 20 years ago. And I feel it, it kind of prepped me for this, for, you know, investigating the lab origins. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he did the most incredible work, you know, going, flying all over the world to interview people. And he really showed how it can be done, like how much you can really uncover if you really do the footwork and, and, and uh, you know, put, you put a really a major effort into um, investigating these questions that are considered by the scientific community for the most part to be completely closed. So, so I have, uh, I have gone from the biggest one follows from that really, which is that, you know, the more I look into different uh, virus outbreaks, the more I realize that more, many more of them are likely to be man-made outbreaks. That, well, that, that, that goes into your one. Ebola. It's taken me a while to answer that question 
properly because I wanted to think about it. But mm -hmm. but that is the one. You know, I now have quite a big list. That that is um, that's longer than most people's. I would say of candidates, either candidates or very very strong candidates. Well, like the Ebola article, way. your latest article on independent yeah, yeah. science. So news. so Ebola is one foot and mouth the foot and mouth disease outbreak, which is also a thing that I was prepped for. So we had a lockdown of the countryside in England due to foot and mouth uh, virus outbreak in 2001, I think it was. Yeah. So we just moved to a farm. You know, we were we had uh, sheep, we had cows, we had goats, we had chickens on our farm. Chickens are not susceptible, but we had all these animals on our farm. And I wasn't... Uh, you know, a big part of looking after these animals. But, you know, they, the near to our farm, the government was basically, you know, uh, was basically burning animals. You know, you could see funeral piles of animals wow. being burned in like three different directions from our farm. It was incredible. And we imagine, you know, they had a three-mile exclusion, basically, zone. So, so the idea was that if somebody found foot and mouth disease virus on one of the farms, then every farm within three miles would have to have their animals put down and destroyed. And wow. so the, you know, what we were fully expecting was that the government people would come and they would set fire to the animals on our front lawn, basically. Yes. And and that never happened. I think because they didn't actually enforce their own rules, but. What's really interesting about that outbreak is apart from, you know, living in a situation of lockdowns, you know, we couldn't go anywhere on our farm. You know, we basically stuck on our farm. We didn't want to go because our animals might have foot and mouth disease. We didn't want to walk around the countryside where everybody else has animals and infect them. Mm -hmm. So we were basically stuck and the footpaths were closed anyways to people and so forth. So, so we, you know, it was a miserable year and a half of yeah. that outbreak. And to, to live through all that. But, yeah. but it now turns out, for example, the government never conducted a proper investigation into where that virus came from. Right? It, was blamed, it was blamed on a farm in the north of the country. And uh, that farm, uh, the farmer always has denied that it came from his farm. And there, wow. is, no, there is no source of the virus that, that, that explains where his how his animals might have got it like the nearest known variant of the virus similar you know in existing in the wild was in south africa it's like basically wow. in the southern hemisphere and the next nearest variant of the virus was at the porton down lab in england right they wow. had the exact strain that broke out in a in a in a basically a biowarfare lab a bsl4 lab in a military institution. So they had the virus and there was no proper investigation ever done. And so, so there's good reasons, and there's more that we could talk about maybe, but there are good reasons to think that quite likely this thing escaped from the BSL-4 lab. Wow, interesting. I, I have a, qu a question I'm curious about on that, I'm curious about on that um, because you know, kind of similar to that, there's like all of these, I'm sure you've heard about the bird flu and swine flu outbreaks on like chicken and pig farms. Yeah. And they're doing something similar where they're like mass killing all of like a lot of animals on farms in the US and in the UK right now to stop the spread of it. And obviously those that we know of haven't like jumped to humans. Um, 
but like there there's people very concerned about that that you know letting these outbreaks go on it could create um some mutation or strain that would be capable of infecting humans like do you have any thoughts on like that's all like do you think there's any connection you know with labs or anything around those or is that totally different uh i don't think it's totally different i mean i have a friend who's researching the the mexican swine flu outbreak mm. who thinks he's a virologist he thinks it came from a from a vaccine that the animals were given so like i think it is perfectly possible that some of these other outbreaks too i think there's such bad systems of investigation basically we leave investigations to the most conflicted people to to uh, undertake them and that's just a stupid idea basically you know we we need to set up systems where independent scientists go and try to every time there's an outbreak try to work out where it came from because we could learn a lot of information just assigning these outbreaks to you know mystery zoonotic jumps it's not good enough, but that's what we do. <laughs> I mean, the Ebola example that, that, that we could discuss would be a great example of that. You know, you have basically no evidence, but you just say it's a zoonosis. Yeah, two-year-old playing with in a bat in a bat tree, and they and they, everyone coalesced around that that one opinion, that one anecdote, that one story, oh. and all the headlines come out to support it all at once. It's kind of kind of weird. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and the child is actually 18 months old do you know yeah. what i mean you can call an 18 month old child two years and then people imagine they're old enough to play with bats or go out hunting yeah. bats or something yeah. but the child wasn't old enough for that yeah that's, that was my first thought when i read it i was like trying to create two. a superhero or something yeah yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's crazy yeah. So, um, I guess our uh, next question. Uh, by the way, half of these questions are all from one guy. So apparently, he couldn't wait for you to come back on the show because he had a, he had a million questions. But uh, they're all very good, I think. Uh, uh, this I find interesting because I I I'm, I'm assuming we all agree on the first part of this question. But uh, he asks, "Does the presence of a virus alter our consciousness the way bacteria in our gut does?" Right. Mm -hmm. So now this I should say the second part of that. Not everyone agrees, right? That gut, you know, gut health can affect mental health. I know for a fact that it does. People <laughs> don't agree on that. Oh, <laughs> if I, I, I literally, when I had horrible mental health, like anxiety, not to go too personal, but like a while, a long time ago, I was at like my worst diet ever. And uh, not saying it was the only thing that contributed to that. Of course, there were outside factors. But I remember even just telling my mom and she's like, that's not real. That's what like holistic, like weird crystal people yeah. say, which I'm like, yeah, no, I agree. I thought yeah, the real. gut microbiome connection was like, uh, I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I thought, I, yeah, this was, I thought that was like, really I don't think it's trickled off. down. Yeah. I don't think it's trickled down to the general general populace quite as much. I'm sure it is accepted, but like a lot of people do think that like, that's just, you know, you need to be on SSRIs, you need to be on this and that. That's the way you combat your mental health issues. But I guess the idea is, can the presence of a virus alter our consciousness, which I find interesting. And now I don't know if there's any way to know this, so I guess this will be an opinion statement, if you know, doctor. I'd have to think about that. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a simple, there's simple things. Like, you know, people, people I know have brain fog from, mm -hmm. from COVID. Right. Right. And the COVID gets into nerve cells. So it affects, you know, or even simply affects your sense of smell, right? That's affecting your consciousness. 
and I, and uh, you know my 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 concern about this question is the definition of consciousness apart from yeah. everything. Like like if if people want to associate consciousness simply with brain processes, like I and to me that's not uh, that's not. Uh, it's not. It's certainly not proven, and I would say it's it's simply wrong. You know, consciousness is something that organisms have. You know, they simply. My interpretation of that of conscious, the idea of consciousness is that you shouldn't pass it out into something that you have that lives in your brain and something that you have that lives in your body, because I would say that bacteria have consciousness and they don't have a separation between a brain and a body and so forth. Mm. So, so they, the 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 question is misconceived, I would say. But but whether you know, I don't know how much evidence there is, simply speaking, to say that viruses, for example, control your brain and you know make make direct interventions into the functioning of your brain or your body. You know, to make you want to go to work when when you're sick or something like that. I think there's negligible evidence for for specific things like that but you know viruses are very clever things and, and it, it wouldn't surprise me you know they they just they evolve so fast and they evolve so so um subtly yeah. that that you know ruling these kinds of connections out would be, is a very unwise thing to right. do you know we know that all these every single virus protein has multiple functions, multiple ways that it affects the human body and human cells. And, you know, they're affecting the immune system. They're affecting the entry into, into cells. They're affecting the, you know, different aspects of the immune system. They are affecting, you know, it's just incredible myriad of functions that these viruses have. And, and so, you know, I don't want to go too far into this because we know very little about it. You know, the whole body whole body research into into what happens when you get an virus a virus infection is kind of lacking as we were discussing earlier mm -hmm. okay um okay next up uh this is actually from my from my co-host here uh he he thought to submit a question are viruses real <laughs> i thought i'd do a throwback to our we discussed this in our last you and me jonathan but there's, I still see it coming up a lot. And I think a lot of our listeners might subscribe to the viruses aren't real. Theory. I, uh, so I, and I wanted to hear Serena to, to hear this one and chime yeah, in. Yeah, I want to, I want to say something. Yeah. Um, I tried to set up a debate on this topic mm -hmm. um, with Jonathan and someone else uh, who takes the other approach that they're not real. Okay. And, um, I part of my motivation in setting it up was I was kind of slightly more open-minded to that question. Mm -hmm. Like totally. I'd seen, I'd seen some very compelling posts, and I was very curious how, like Jonathan or or someone you know with a virology background would respond. And the way we we ended up not being able to basically agree on framing of right. the question. It's tough, and that made me lose uh yeah the same thing happens to me it, yeah. it all made, the time with us it happens the people it's like oh gosh yeah, it, it yeah. made me disappointed and it made me feel like some of the people promoting the 
you know, they don't exist theory weren't maybe quite as genuine about getting to the truth as I thought they were because I felt like I was the person, I felt like it made most sense for me to frame the question because I was the ideal like audience per se. Like here I was Uh like, you know, I have a degree in in biochemistry. Like I have a science background. I'm open-minded. Like I actually want to hear what both sides have to say. And I felt like some of the people on the other side wanted to frame it in such a narrow manner that they were really more interested in having people just speak to their audience to validate their perspective than actually get the truth. And that made me a lot more skeptical of that perspective. It made, you know, I'll just say like that, the way that went down, I was like, I, I was disappointed in, in that. And it made me a lot more, uh, fall back in the other direction with with uh virology (laughs) yeah you weren't trying to get that you weren't you weren't trying to uh, i i guess in in a sense like you i'm sympathetic to pretty much anything if 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 you're the if you're a person that has an unpopular or at least like viruses say viruses aren't real like that's that's kind of like a wait what like everybody the general public's going to look at that and say excuse me you if you if you are so solidified in that take you should you should be sprinting to every platform you could to just be like i have this this and this to prove it and all that which a lot of people you know i will say we have a lot of people who are like kind of left like far left kind of communist stuff i think a lot of people fell on that virus aren't real because they didn't want china implicated in any sort of any sort Mm. of thing that's i have no again it's kind of like vegans and lab leak because they want veganism to be like the thing the reason people go vegan is because of the wet market because of the wet yeah, market of the, too. exactly yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. serena talked about that before yeah. yeah yeah so it's so it was just i mean my thing is framing is everything like you were talking about with study design all of that like framing can determine the outcome you oh, yeah. get based on how the question or debate or a study is framed and i just feel like some of the way I'm seeing this debate about viruses being framed is just too narrow. It's like, has it been isolated or not versus does it exist? Which might not seem like that big of a difference if you're not familiar with the debate or the topic, but it's a huge difference Mm -hmm. because then you're narrowing in on one particular piece of evidence or definition of existence, which is this isolation when, and I... I really, you know, I thought it was broader than that, like that. And that's where, you know, we, we couldn't agree and, and things fell apart. But um, yeah. yeah, so. So Latham wins, though, apparently. He won the debate because <laughs> that's, I'm sports minded. If that guy didn't show up, then he won. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So Dr. Latham, our viruses are real, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta, I gotta I, say I, that did, I was really hoping, you know, I, I was really hoping that these people would come up with something that surprised me. But yeah. it was, it was exactly as Serena said, you know. I'm glad that we had this conversation because I never fed back to Serena about my experience because I was too busy. But, but like, you know, I felt like they were trying to draw me into a discussion, and like, you know, the mm. the initial introduction was. We're going to have a broad discussion. 
And then they started introducing all these conditions. Like, you know, they wanted to tie my left hand behind my back and they wanted to tie my right <laughs> hand behind my back. And they wanted to put a, a thing over my eyes or whatever. You yeah. know, so we were only allowed to discuss that, their kind of narrow statement that they wanted to make. And like, you can't have a scientific conversation like that. It just is not. It's not going to happen. You know, people have to be able to bring in all their experience and all their understanding of the scientific literature in order to answer these questions. So it just felt like they 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 really, um, they were trying, yeah, it didn't feel genuine to me, yeah. ultimately. It felt like they were just introducing all these uh, conditions in, in order to protect themselves because they knew that, that they were unlikely to win at the end of the day. And and nothing nothing they said convinced me otherwise. You know, I saw nothing. It seemed like they wanted to get you on to basically admit that they were right. And mm -hmm. like, that was it. It's like, because in our conversation, you basically agree, our initial conversation, you kind of agreed like, yeah, isolation hasn't happened. And they were like, aha. Like, I think they wanted to basically have you state that to their audience and then take that as like see we're right when i really wanted to hear more of the like well you're admitting that but then you still think there's lots of other evidence uh -huh. like that was the debate i wanted to have happen because that was the question i had from reading all this online it was like well they're saying this but then you're saying there's other evidence like that's what i want to hear how do they respond mm. to the other evidence like because what what i feel like is going on in a lot of you know, these conversations is, and what I've seen online is they're narrowing in on the isolation mm -hmm. has yeah. or hasn't happened. And the first thing I thought when I saw that was, okay, well, what if that's not the only criteria? Like there's lots, you know, in science in general, like much of the way we collect data, we can't see the actual thing, you know, happening in the body or, or what, we're sort of measuring or collecting data on um, other, you know, we, we, we measure protein responses from something that happened at a cellular level. We, you know, we're looking at sort of secondary, yeah. um, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for right now, but, you know, secondary metrics that aren't directly there. And I think when you have a lot of secondary metrics, you can kind of get a picture. And this is how so much in science works. We yeah. collect all this data and it kind of shows us this picture that we're able to put together. And we may not always be able to measure or or like actually see that that thing that we want with proof. And I feel like they're missing that. They're taking, even though they're saying they want to be holistic, they're taking a very reductionist, narrow isolation or not and missing Absolutely. like, okay, well, maybe... Like that's framing the whole debate right there by saying that's all that matters and the only form of proof or evidence that they'll take. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and or Cox postulates, right? Which is kind of it's always seemed weird to me to evoke in such a dramatic fashion, like kind of a little maybe a little outdated. And also it, it kind of evokes this uh and I it kind of bleeds into the terrain theory thing, which I know you wanted to talk about, Glenn, where I think it I think it evolved originally, and I'm very sympathetic to this. I believe this that like terrain theory, what people talk about when they mean that is not every virus or bacteria necessarily means every disease for every person. And there's a lot of other factors at play, whether it be immune system, 
on a, like an interpersonal level or on a societal level in terms of like how things affect other things. Right. And that, you know, that, that, uh, the germ theory of disease is not 100% all the time, every time. And that's something that I believe. And that's, that's a conspiracy that I do believe in is that they, they've tried to push that a hundred, you know, a hundred years ago to 50 years ago to, to cry, to try and make everything about pharmaceuticals, everything about cut and dry, black and white, and then I think that got bastardized into <laughs> viruses don't exist, and that's not what's causing diseases or something. And there, and then these guys' explanation for what does cause disease is always something way more fanciful and weird, like like exosomes or or like you know like X rays or something. It's always some weird thing with no with the yeah with even less evidence that I'm like okay, like you're you're not putting up a better alternative here yeah. and stop yeah. making a mockery of like skepticism in my opinion you know yeah. it's always like my my thing when i see people doing that where there's like you know i i've every time when that happened with us for a while when the terrain theory thing was kind of big i remember that right around like 2021 when that when that was happening and we would bring people on and actually somebody who got got um a lot of a bad accusations of kind of being like a uh a agent of the state or something was sam husseini who collaborated with uh dr latham on his ebola article uh, uh, he he was doing a lot of the chinese like lab leak stuff and people were just saying he was a straight-up fed for even admitting that the virus was real and it's like yeah. that to me just railroads any kind of conversation we could ever happen have people would call us that where i'm sorry i'm flattered that people think this podcast is big enough for the state <laughs> to sink money into yeah <laughs> i don't think they got the best roi personally if they, if we were like i, I just yeah. I, i'm flattered truly but you know i that was a weird time and i i'm, I'm glad we at least uh spoke on that for for a little bit um yeah. now I don't really have many more questions because a lot of them involve mRNA technology, which I don't want to put anybody on the spot uh, for that. Uh, it's easier for us to, uh, for Sai and I to kind of uh, uh, wax about that than it yeah, is for yeah. people who are, you know, a little more into the field and stuff. Can I sneak I, another? Can I sneak another question in just contextually? I wanted to, Latham. I wanted you to. So we just had Colin Campbell on last week for the first time on our podcast, and I know you're wonderful guy. You, mm -hmm. you two are friends. Yeah, yeah. You two are friends. And what do you what do you think about his scientific career? I know you have a lot of thoughts on what his story means for the broader context of science, and I know you have a share a lot of overlap. Um, yeah, talk just talk about that really quick, just to give no, I'm keeping context to la last episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just want to add a little. I don't know if I can add some clarity just to the last points. Oh, sure, sure, discussing. Sure. But you know, we used to isolate viruses uh, when I worked in a plant lab, right? And, and so I did my, my PhDs in plant virology. And, yeah. and the question comes along all the time, like, are we, have we isolated a virus from this plant? And, and uh, it's, it's as Serena says that science is a very subtle thing. Like you, you never have, you never ultimately have proof that you have got the disease, the disease that you think you've got from the plant that's, you know, say there's a rust in a, in a wheat, right? And you want to try to isolate that rust from the, uh, from the wild and cultivate it in your, in your greenhouse, right? Have you, if you, if you really have that rust disease, right, what you want to be able to do is, is have something in the greenhouse that reproduces the disease that you can 
transfer it between organisms, between uh, wheat plants or between other kinds of species. You need, and you want to be able to isolate it in the sense of seeing the virus. You want to actually see something in the plant. Mm -hmm. You want to, you know, like there's a whole lot of questions that revolver, you know, that are basically Cox postulates. And these, these postulates are actually difficult to fulfill. You know, they're, they're an ideal, right? But, but when you publish a scientific paper and you say, we found this virus, you, you have a whole lot of criteria that people, uh, you know, that approximate to these postulates that will get you a publication. And if you can't fulfill most of these postulates, nobody will publish your paper. And so, so you have uh, a set of, you know, what, but what they are basically is correlations, right? That none, of, none, none of the steps, if you examine Cox postulates carefully, you'll see that they're all basically correlations. You to hold it, you've got a series of correlations, like can something be transferred that looks like the, the disease agent into the organism that, I, that I'm using in my lab, for example? And does it cause the illness that, that you see in the plants in the wild. You know, there's a lot of questions in there. And you, it's very difficult to actually prove all those postulates all the time. But you can satisfy yourself, nevertheless, that you have isolated a virus. But what, what the, uh, does COVID origin, does, does COVID and do viruses exist is basically you know, picking holes in these arguments and and making a, a story out of those holes mm. that, that is not really there, yeah. right, in this case. You know, you have people get sick from the virus. We can see the virus in people's cells. We can yeah. put it into cell culture. We can yeah. do all these, uh, these subparts of Cox postulates, but we don't necessarily do them all, all at the same time on the same isolate and so on and so forth because – you know, you can't, you know, the, the isolates exist for short periods and so on. There's all these practical obstacles to doing that. And so, so science is a set of correlations that you decide that you're going to that, that, that satisfy you and, and satisfy the reviewers if you're going to put it in a scientific paper. And people have to, to understand that this is kind of a subtle process. You know, there, there are degrees of convincingness of each of these steps. And it all depends on the specifics of how you do it and whether it was done by a graduate student or whether it was done by a professor, whether it was done on exactly the same strain. What happened when you put this in? Like, for example, a classic thing that happens in virology is uh, you extract an organism, you extract the virus, or you think you've extracted a virus from a sick organism and you put it into a cell culture, and it, that when you put it into the cell culture, it can acquire mutations, mm -hmm. right? And the virus that lives in your cell culture is not necessarily at that point the same as the virus that's in the organism that you took it from, wow. right? Does that mean that the virus that you have in your cell culture doesn't really exist? <laughs> the, the, the technical answer right. to that question is it doesn't exist, right? Often what's cultured in, in labs is simply the variant, a variant that was selected from the disease organism that happens to grow in the cell culture that you have, yeah. right? But, but yeah. this, this doesn't mean 
that all the research that's done on these organisms is utter rubbish, right? Yeah. Simply because that happens. It just means that there are practical limitations to, yeah. to what can be cultured and so on and so forth. And, and smart virologists are cognizant of these difficulties, right? Right. And, and, and so to say that there are some logical leaps that people are making when they isolate a virus and so on and so forth, is true. There are logical leaps that are almost invariably being made. But you, the question is, do you really want to make a big deal out of these logical leaps? Right? Mm. Under what circumstances does it really matter? Like, for example, when you isolate COVID-19 and you put it into Vero E6 monkey cells, it loses its furing cleavage site. Like the mm. fear and cleavage site is a super important thing, right? <laughs> if you take that virus back out again and you try to infect it in people, it won't do that anymore, right? Yeah. So you have wow. to, like, but people uh, understand that, right? People have seen it. It happens, it happens on a routine basis, and people can go back to the original sequence and see that the fear and cleavage site was there from the organism they took it from, but it's somehow been lost. And yeah. this is a typical thing in virology. But the question is, how big a deal do you want to make out of that? Okay. Yeah. Well, and if I can add something there, too, I think that's part of the, you know, fundamental problem with some of these questions, viruses are very unique in the world of science, like even categorizing them, like we would have discussions when I was in college about categorizing them as living or not. And we would present arguments for how based on different criteria, we could make a case that they were living or we could make a case that they were not because they're in this weird gray area. They are very different than bacteria and other organisms that can sort of more clearly be classified and one main aspect of this is that viruses can't replicate on their own they must be in a cell you know human body mm -hmm. or a cell culture right. which yeah. makes you know inherently makes being able to isolate them study them very difficult and different than you can't like you can't apply the same criteria to bacteria or to viruses that you apply to bacteria because bacteria are self-replicating in a way that viruses as a category of organisms are not. And so I think like just recognizing that there are that they're very unique in that way and that that introduces a lot of, you know, implications where we have to make jumps and can't do things the way, you know, people that want really hard clear evidence, you know, like don't understand, I guess. I think that's the the, the not self-replicating and needing to be in a cell culture is a really important thing to understand about viruses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. And uh, we we also what we had brought up earlier was the, the Colin Campbell stuff. Right. So we just want to make sure we we cover. Oh, yeah. That. Well, I yeah. just wanted to ask yeah, Jonathan about Colin Campbell and mm. get him on record is because I know that you're you're interested in his story and you guys have a lot in common and you can talk Bob, Bob has to go through a lot on the internet defending his uh plant-based uh, uh stuff in a world full of uh, I do. Uh, yeah. newly minted carnivores so we, we need some he needs some help I, i'm not personally not <laughs> high iq enough to to defend that because i just i just ate pizza for lunch so i, I can't really do that <laughs> but the uh um yeah please if you could yeah i mean i mean the 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 little bit that i want to say is you know i have uh tremendous respect for that man, you know, he has, he has really, you know, done, you know, all the hard yards to, to try to like stick to the data, right? You know, he's come from a background of being a dairy farmer and, and, you know, committed to, to, you know, animal proteins are good for you. 
to being, you know, basically changing his mind about a whole set of questions in a, in a painful way because there, there's career costs to, to changing your mind in that way. Yeah. And my experience of scientists is very few of them will go through that process. Yeah. You know, like the, one of the misunderstandings that people have about science is that you simply like go to the lab and you show up and you do some research and then you publish a paper and and you follow the data. <laughs> and sometimes it does, really does happen like that. <laughs> yeah. Often, quite often, I would say, the what happens is that following the data leads you into a hard place, right? Because right. you're basically coming up against some humongous uh, industry that depends on you coming to a certain answer and not another certain answer. And very few scientists are prepared to follow the data to the extent that it will cost them their career or their position or the respect of their colleagues or their grants or their whatevers. And, and unfortunately, you know, we really need scientists to do that and to go through that process. And I, you know, because of the kind of work we do, I have gotten to meet some of those researchers. You know, I get phone calls from people saying, saying, you know, I work for X organization and, you know, I've seen the research that you publish and I'm just in conflict with my organization. And yeah. this research is, you know, I'm going to have to stick to the truth or lose my job. <laughs> and these people, these people, are, you know, they're in a really hard place. But that is the reality of science, right, is that you have to expect that you are going to go through that process and come into conflict with authority, basically. You have to understand that that is the reality of science. And it was not inevitable, but when authority has such strong opinions about vaccines or about uh, the kind of food that is good for you or the merits of genetic engineering or the merits of pesticides, basically all research that's being conducted in universities today is basically to order, right? Yeah. It's basically to please some industry and, and to propagandize the public. You know, you can pretty much, pretty much pigeonhole it into those categories. And, yeah. you know, this is why I changed... You know, I started off doing plant biology <clears throat> and I realized we were just being servants of the plant breeding industry in a mm. way that I was very uncomfortable with. And then I went to do medical research <clears throat> and I realized that medical research is simply about going through the motions and, and coming up with reductionistic hypotheses. We were never going to be benefiting the public and so on and so forth. And so, so I've seen how research is is basically produced in order to please these massive interests. And then when you meet people who've gone up against these massive interests and, and you need a lot of smarts, you need a lot of courage, you need a lot of support, determination, you need incredible resources to, to do, what, do what he's done. And, and I have, you know, there's no research that he's done. I've looked into in quite depth to some of the research, not every single paper that he's written, but but uh, quite a few of them. And you can't find flaws in them. These are like really well done papers. You know, whereas you see people who are doing research that is to order and you just see all these flaws in their research. Mm. 
you can see that there's just uh, simple errors that they've made. That, yeah. that because they've made these errors, it's basically enabled them to bail out of the conversation and basically agree with the with the authority figure in the room in every yeah. case. And so you see this this you know there are certain people who are prepared to follow the data, and those people are so rare in our society because you know because there's no support for them and so on and so forth. But yeah. he is one of those people. And, I, and I, so, so that is my kind of big picture thinking about him. And and you're and I, I've never actually asked you uh, personally. You're you're plant based, right, uh, doctor? Well, close, very very close. Mm. You know, I, I sometimes I have a pizza or something like that, but <laughs> I don't eat much, really much meat. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. Nice. Well, and if I can jump in here too, absolutely. Mm-hmm. For for people who maybe don't know some of the details, I mean, you did just do an episode with him, but if people didn't listen to that, um, <laughs> they did not. Yeah, yeah they did not. Um, then, uh, then, then I want to throw this in that, like, you know, I I've been hearing this more and more, and I'm sure this is kind of probably what you're referring to with some of your listeners is, you know, people feeling like plant based diets are very much associated with authority or right. or the the uh, you know the elite or hollywood or whoever like pushing veganism getting the pot eat the bugs yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's becoming like yeah. an increasingly popular thing i I've, I've heard and you know i think that is that's again framing and that's a very small like that's still taking a reductionist view when you actually one look at people like colin campbell and you look at personal things he's faced (laughs) yeah like at you know like if if elite institutions if cornell university if like the ivy leagues were like really pushing plant-based diets on people then why has he been censored and you know exactly prohibited from teaching why like he has faced every level of like personal you know difficulty around getting his research out around speaking to people around teaching students about it and he got you, his course canceled at his own, you know, as Professor Emeritus. Exactly. Know, like, so, right. So we yeah. have this narrative around media. And I think that narrative serves to help people feel better about not questioning diet and, mm-hmm. and looking into plant-based diets more. And when you really look at funding in particular too, funding and, and even, you know, I, I made a whole video on this because I was hearing this more about like Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation pushing, you know, whether it's like lab grown meat or eating bugs on people. And like, you know, you can make that claim and then you can go look at the grants and who he's actually giving grants to. And he's giving millions of dollars to animal agriculture interests to increase chicken farming in Africa, to to increase the genetic engineering of cows that have like more meat on their body or things like this. Like that's what he, he's giving so much more money to that than the little bit of money he's occasionally giving to like plant-based companies, like, you know, beyond or impossible or whatever that's getting media attention, but you have to look past the media. Right. So it's like, people say they're kind of like skeptical of mainstream media and then they're just taking what they're hearing. These stories that get highlighted about, you know, and, and you have to look at the actual reality, look at the funding, look at like which really are the moneyed interests that are potentially like biasing and corrupting nutrition information or whatever else it is. Yeah. And I think when you really look at that, 
there is simply no comparison that like the animal agriculture industry has so much more power, whether it's over Congress, whether it's over, you know, uh, government or even large businesses, like there is so much more bias in favor of pushing animal products than there is in the plant-based world. Even with the growth of the plant-based market and plant-based food companies, the money, investments, lobbying power, they do not compare. And Colin is a perfect example of that. Again, going back to Cornell and his personal story. And he really stands out as one of these scientists that regardless of how it's affected his personal career, as Jonathan said, like he truly is willing to stick to the data and, and he's with every single topic he's covered and researched, he is not swayed by grant funding or money or his career and job. He just follows the science. Serena, thank you so much. You actually be, I was actually going to ask you a question that exact question you answered so perfectly and because um, someone asked me that, when I was kind of, you know, I talk about this online and stuff, I think Spendio Williams, friend of the show, uh, asked that question. And I was going to ask you the exact same one. It was like, how how come you don't have doubts about plant-based diet or veganism or whatever when there's this huge, giant media push, you know, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, whatever, you know, and that's a good question. That's a really good question. And it does give me pause. Like, why are they promoting this so much on, on a certain narrow f- wavelength of frequency? And I'll tell, and, I can tell you yeah. why more in a minute. Yeah. Well, no. And I, and I, I answered it in my own way, which was very similar to yours. Um, but I, and I, I have this new thing. Cause you know, my big thing is, I don't know why there are more there actually do know why, but it's more of a rhetorical question. Why aren't there more people that are anti-factory farming yet still omnivores and still eat meat? Like, uh, perfectly you know where they that's an actual principle for them because most people even like the real even like like a guy like joe rogan who has 100 million dollars right he's he admits to eating factory farm meat you know mm-hmm. and, go, and going out to restaurants coffee shops right dairy and creamer, yeah you can't whatever. not i mean you literally yeah. cannot you can't not it's, it's yeah. ve- vegans are principled on this issue you have to give it to them right and so i and then i know we both know serena that the the factory farming animal industry they fund kind of promotions of pastor like you know promoting grass-fed beef and stuff not because they want people to eat grass-fed beef but because they know that people will revert back to not eating grass-fed beef and eating you know it's it's, a form of greenwashing exactly yeah so i I, that was just my little rant i had to go through and it but it's just i find that fascinating that like you know very, very i could count them on maybe one hand the people i know that are you know, super high vibe omnivores that completely, completely avoid factory farming. And I'm not saying there aren't problems with mainstream plant agriculture either. We all, everyone here knows that, you know, but those don't, those don't have the added issue of the animals and the morality of factory farming and stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And that just the, and yeah, like you said, just the power of the animal agriculture industry if, if you can't admit that, then you're not really awake, you know, and like, no matter what your, your opinion on COVID or anything else is, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, so thank you. Yeah. well, and, and, you know, I do want to sort of say like the why, like I said, sort of how, but I think yeah. the why, my hypothesis of what's going on is like, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> so <laughs> just because an idea becomes popular or is being promoted by the mainstream doesn't inherently mean that, that idea is wrong 
what right, I think happens is like, you know, knowledge about plant-based diets, knowledge is true about climate change too, I think. Mm-hmm. Knowledge about climate change, plant-based diets has grown over, you know, exponentially. Like there's people who've been talking about climate change since the 80s and it wasn't taken seriously. It was this fringe environmental move, you know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Same with veganism and plant-based diets. So as knowledge about that has grown and more people actually have started taking interest, there's more science and evidence like Colin Campbell's about, you know, nutrition. I think when something starts to become more popular, become a trend, corporate interests look at it and they see the direction things are going. And then they say, okay, how can we make money off of this? How can we co-opt this messaging to profit from it? So what I think happens is then you have, you know, Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation or the corporations or Tyson Foods, right? That invested in Beyond Meat. They've since taken that out. I believe they're no Hmm. longer. That was, they just got media attention for a little bit of an investment and then pulled out. I think that's so then you see all this mainstream media coverage of rich people just trying to profit they're doing this with everything they're still invested in meat they're still invest right they're not actually principled people like trying to do what's right or trying to you know they don't really care about the animals and the environment it's just this this you know, profitable thing. They're like, Oh, I see the direction. I see the conversations going in this way. I better make sure that I can profit if things do go that way. I better. So that's what I really see is going on. And that's why then once those people are vested in something, then mainstream media covers it a little bit more because it doesn't threaten quite as much the profits of some of those people or companies involved. And then it gets some more media coverage and it's not seen as just this fringe thing, but that doesn't mean that the original problem or thing that is an issue, you know, factory farming, animal agriculture, whatever, isn't a problem. It doesn't mean that plant-based diets aren't the healthiest. It could be that they're trying to (laughs) Trojan horse it too. They're trying to poison the well a little bit, you know, and try and kind of seed doubt where, you know, that that's another thing where that's the Bill Gates that, you know, I love when my favorite thing was when people make fun of Bill Gates's physical composition, like his his body, you know, having like man boobs or whatever, being like, oh, that's Beyond Meat burgers. I'm like, no, he's eating real burgers. Like he's not eating Beyond Burgers. You know, he's <laughs> like, I guarantee it. He it didn't is, read the it, China study. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, that's and, our. And yeah, none, go ahead, go ahead, even yeah. you know, none none of the the <laughs> folks or or you know organizations like that. You'll notice none of them are talking about local organic produce. That's yeah. still, you know, yeah, no, organic, no. you know, like you know, <clears throat> agroecological plant-based farming. No big, you know, media yeah. corporation. None of them are talking about that. They're only talking about the things that can be profitable, that they can, you know, patent or, you know, create a business model from. And it's GMO, really hard yeah. to create a business model, a profitable model for like agroecological plant-based, you know, community gardens that are actually the healthiest, most sustainable, you know, equitable option. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I offer my my variant on this, which is, um, you know, I am more, more close to Bob's uh, poisoning the well type explanation than I am that this is about money. You know, the, the, Cointel Pro thing was was basically, you know, we the CIA, you know, is looking at all these social movements 
coming up, like unions, take unions, for example. They yeah. see radical mm -hmm. collectives of people self-organizing to get better wages, more yep. power in the workplace, and so forth. So what they do is they create their own versions of these unions, right? Which are like, basically, they're owned by the CIA, ultimately. And so what they do, what they do is they, they, they figure we'll dilute the, this movement, right? We'll create an alternative that is basically, that kind of looks a little bit like the real thing, mm -hmm. but it's not the real thing because firstly, we own it. And secondly, the message is, is radically different. It's like, you know, the, the, the message of the unions created by the CIA was things like, you know, we'll negotiate slightly higher wages or slightly longer holidays. We're not interested, but they were not interested in radical revolutionary change. They weren't, um, they weren't interested in democratizing the workforce. They were, you know, they have all these, these things that they don't do. Right. So this is what I see these beyond meat people doing. You know, Bill Gates, yeah. his, his primary, the only thing that I've ever seen Bill Gates say that I thought actually was truthful was somebody once asked him, what, if you had $1 left to spend, what would you spend it on? And he said, I would spend it basically on propaganda. Right? <laughs> and like what he is, what he Crazy. is saying is changing people. The the way this game is all that is changing people's minds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 the money part of it is like you know I need the money to keep my foundation going. I want to keep the dollars flowing and so on and so forth. But he really has an agenda, right? And that's how he thinks about everything. It's like how do we change people's minds? Because in ten thousand years time. We all remember the people who changed our minds about something, not who had the most money or who was the king right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and so so that's what that's what's going on. And we have so many examples of that. You know, like the classic example is Gloria Steinem's feminism. Mm -hmm. Right. Gloria Steinem is like this watered down version of feminism. Like let's have women in the military. Let's have women <laughs> women, you know, do all these roles that are basically patriarchal substitute right the original yeah. feminism was like let's overthrow patriarchy and gloria steiner what is her what is her what was her job before she was a feminist right she worked for the cia yeah i think and, you taught me so, that i was so, so like a long time ago i was like what yeah that was yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. it was pretty forward thinking they hired her you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. but uh, you see her you see her career you see her career pathway right one minute she's in working for the CIA. Yeah. The next thing she's writing a a, a so-called radical article about going underground as a as a bunny girl, right? Yeah. And then she's published in a fancy magazine that's also run, by the way, by the CIA, right? <laughs> so she gets national exposure and becomes a famous feminist, right? And then when she becomes a famous feminist, she then starts Ms. Magazine with mystery money, right? Yeah. Mystery, mystery. money comes along, backs her to start Ms. Magazine, and they have their alternative watered-down Hillary Clinton-type feminism, and that's become the feminism of today, right? The original radical uh, uh, red stockings-type feminism is pretty much disappeared, right? But we know that the CIA saw that as a major threat. Yeah. Right, the threat to the American way of life. The American way of life is patriarchal life, right? Yeah. And the CIA saw that as a primary threat. So they created an alternative version of feminism 
that was basically that would just water down the whole thing. And so yeah, they that, double, that's they how the I see <laughs> the, the these beyond me yeah. uh, situation. Right? Yeah. And I gotta say, Jonathan, on, on your point on the unions poisoning the well with the unions, I believe Glenn has a direct experience with that. Yeah, right? you've told that story before. Yeah, I try I mean I won't say the company because I don't think I even can, to be honest. But like yeah. the uh <laughs> Yeah, I had that same exact thing happen in a in a kind of a big big company. We were temps, and we basically wanted to unionize to no longer be temps, essentially to not have a two year contract. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, they were the all all types of you know they espoused all the 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 pro union stuff. They're like, no, 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 we're gonna do that. We're gonna just we're gonna do the stuff that you want. However, well, why bring in more bargaining agents, right? Why why bring in why bring in a middleman to do all this stuff? Me and you, employer to you know thing, and yeah. and and then you know they. If you see a runaway train and you or you see a train that's moving strong, I should say, not a runaway train, you're going to want to put the right conductor in there rather than stop the train. Right. That's essentially what, what you see. If you see a lot of people adopting plant based celebrities, people like that, regardless mm -hmm. of what type of diet that they're doing um, or what, you know, there's so many variations of plant based you can do. However, if you see that being popular, you might as well try to get in on it because at what you know and get it get it your way get it and that's even better yeah. than stopping it you know so that's yeah. that's the way Derail i go it, yeah so um why well, i i thank you guys for coming through uh um both both of you are very uh popular guests on this show and mm -hmm. uh um thanks again and and dr latham i i know that you are on independentsciencenews.org is there anywhere else they can find your stuff uh you know they, we have a biosciencesource.org website Mm -hmm. too, but the independent science news is the better place mm -hmm. okay got it got it so yeah check out the the uh did west africa's ebola outbreak of 2014 have a lab origin check out that article written with uh sam husseini dr jonathan latham check that out uh serena let everybody know where they can find you born vegan uh on instagram youtube facebook um my website is bornvegan.org cool you guys know where to find us so uh i'll uh everybody have a safe week okay thanks again thanks again Thank for you. coming through Thank all you. right bye thank bye, you guys. for having us